right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, to hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions change their careers, what relationships influence their work. I'm obsessed with my mom. Okay. <laughs> I love my mom. Are you the complicated one? Oh, I think so. My guests today are women whose ambition and uninhibited talent have disrupted and reimagined what it means to be a female performer for their respective generations. Lena Dunham is the creator and star of the HBO series Girls, which explores the painful struggles of a group of 20-something women with an often uncomfortable honesty. Except for the fact that I haven't had sex, I'm like totally not even a virgin. I'm like the least virgin virgin ever. Dunham has helped define female strength in part with her own blend of fearlessness and vulnerability. I just want someone who wants to hang out all the time and thinks I'm the best person in the world and wants to have sex with only me. Women of Elaine Stritch's generation were expected to behave like the weaker sex, but that changed when Stritch stepped on stage with unapologetic confidence, and she's been doing so ever since. Why not? Lena Dunham's my first guest this hour. I should have dressed up more for you. It's radio, so don't care. <laughs> okay, good, perfect. Um, and Three I'm wearing, years ago, and I'm Dunham shot a low-budget really movie in her parents' Manhattan apartment. In tiny furniture, she played a version of herself, a recent college graduate moving back into her childhood bedroom while making plans for her future. How long are you going to be staying in our house? Last I checked, it's my house, too. I have a whole bedroom. You used to have a whole bedroom. It's my special space now. Dunham was proclaimed a fresh, original voice, a director with a bright future. 
Writer-director Judd Apatow was one of those who took notice, and today he and Dunham executive produce Girls, which she stars in as Hannah Horvath. Once again, she didn't have to travel far to find inspiration for her character. I think that Hannah is someone who I'm very capable of being, who's wounded, ambitious, but doesn't know where to place it. Hannah's sort of the version of myself if I'd had less understanding parents and sort of less drive to get things done. And I think who I am as a person who is always sort of, if I had to describe the war within myself that exists currently, it's sort of the challenge of trying to reconcile the part of me that that always thought I would be like, you know, a weird gender and women's studies teacher who occasionally showed movies at film festivals and hung out in my strange apartment that was stacked high with books, trying to reconcile that with the part of me that has to, like, figure out Shoot the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Exactly. It was to shoot the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. It was to figure out a dress to wear for an event that – and everyone seems to be worried about whether or not the dress is in stores because it has to be my own dress. And so I'm dealing with all these sort of – this strange ecosystem and all these weird politics that I kind of never imagined would happen to me in my lifetime. You never imagined? No. You really never imagined it? I think I – my dream situation was that I would be someone who people thought, oh, she's doing – important work in her own little corner. Like a Roz Chast cartoon character. Exactly. Like a Roz Chast cartoon character or like, I think because I went to pretentious private school, the biggest dream you would have is you'd be like, I'm going to be Joan Didion. That was kind of where your brain was allowed to wander. Or maybe Nora Ephron. Maybe you'll make films, but you're not going to be in films. Exactly. And I don't think, I never was able, I think I had a twofold thing about it. One is that I came from a family of artists, and so the idea was sort of like you made your work and then got out of the way of it. Like part of what was, I think I internalized the idea that your work was supposed to speak for you. You were not supposed to speak for your work. And so I think I was self-conscious about the idea of being self-promoting. any self-promoting. Self-promoting. And although that's not what acting is, it's. It is now. It, it, it's become <laughs> that. And then I also think that I thought, well, there's people who are professionals who can do this better than me. So I'm just going to act until I have access to the people who should be acting. And sometimes I still feel that way. Sometimes I think like, you know, I'll do this a little longer and then Michelle Williams can play me every day (laughs) till I die. Something that's really nice about making a show that isn't – that is a comedy that isn't stuck in any sort of – net. I mean, 30 Rock was able to bust out of a lot of network sitcom tropes. But I think one of the biggest things that networks prevent besides curse words and showing your breasts is development. I think that – When you play – I think so many sitcom characters end up playing the same version of themselves in various scenarios for years and years. This is the thing. As God is my judge, this is the thing that we talked about in the meeting to prep this thing with you, which was shows I've seen where the protagonist, male or female, they're going through the same set of problems in season six that they were in season one. It's just different lines and different co-stars. Yeah. And with you, I'm wondering, do you have a Bible on the show? Do you have an arc in your mind? Not even on paper, not even approved with your other – because you do this with Judd, correct? I do it with Judd and a woman named Jenny Connor, who's the other executive producer. And we have a great little writer's room. But our writer's room doesn't really work like – it's not like we write a script and then all sit together punching it up. It's much more we sit together at the beginning of the season and really talk through. It's like a giant therapy session where we work out the emotional arc and then we go to it. And when you work out that emotional arc, do you think to yourself, are the things that she's going through now, your character and the other characters, where you're saying to yourself, let's make sure they're not going through this, that there is growth a season from now or by the end of the season? Completely. And that's why I feel like 
it's okay for me to cut my hair or it's okay for me to start spinning or it's okay for me, you know, whatever I, whatever. To change. To change because I feel as though so much of what this show is about is about seeing these girls off into their adulthood. Like in my Bible, the ideal finale to the show would be a feeling like, you know, they don't have to have kids. They don't have to have husbands. But you look at them and you kind of go, they're on their way. They're more okay than they were when they started. Or they're less okay, but we have an understanding of what kind of adult we think they're going to be. Right. So describe to me how that works because the theme here is control and you are like other uh, brilliant comedy writing chicks I've known over the years. <laughs> you have – this is your show. This is your thing. So how does it start? How does – whose idea was Girls? And was it yours? It was mine because I made this movie, Tiny Furniture, and I made it, you know, my mom and sister starred. We shot it in my mom's house, my mom and dad's house. We um, – it was totally populated with friends, some of whom have made their way to girls with me. And What motivated you to want to do Tiny Furniture? On a practical, real-life level, I wanted to talk about that moment between college and adulthood that felt so floundering. And so every day I felt like I was walking through the strangest, most surreal soup. And so – I sort of also wanted to capture this moment where I was – I knew that I wouldn't live at home forever, that my little sister wouldn't be sort of 17 and ambitious and but also stuck in her bedroom forever, that my mom was sort of looking in this beautiful moment where she kind of was – I mean, she'll murder me for saying this, but she looked that kind of beautiful way where it's like you're – not quite old yet, and you just look yeah. kind of. She just looked kind of perfect to me, yeah. and I just like a great like, car. Yeah, <laughs> and I just thought she's not my mother, so I can say that <laughs> exactly. And I just thought I want to capture all of this. So you really love your mom. I'm obsessed with my mom. Okay, <laughs> I love my mom. And the, but I'm saying that's interesting that you have that feeling, and that's what makes you survey what's around you and want to capture that. Because I find typically people who are not happy, they got to wait a while till they can negotiate the pain to go back and talk totally. about that. So one of the biggest things that inspires me to make work is this feeling of looking around and going, even if you're not perfect, you're all so perfect right now. Let's let's capture this. And then, you know, I'd love the feeling. I was just watching like Panic in Needle Park last week, that movie, yeah. which is, you know. A, Kitty Wynn. Kitty, gosh, she's so good. Ooh. Where did Kitty Wynn go? Yeah. Let me get that vial out for Kitty Wynn. She's <laughs> incredible. But so I was watching that and I was just thinking about how exciting it was to be able to watch sort of like Al Pacino at that first moment when he was sort of like he still almost looked a little adolescent and yeah. he was still tr- – and he was learning his craft. And, and just I, behaving on film. Yeah. And I just love capturing that and that's something that I've tried to do with girls too is sort of grab people and go, let's just, let's just see you as you are right now. Now, so the film – did well. So then how does Girls happen? So then I went to L.A. and kind of did that. I went like, okay, I guess what you do next is get an agent. And I guess what you do next is try to figure out a what you do next. Tiny Furniture helped you do all that. I mean, tiny, you're on the runway now. Yes. Yeah. I was I was on the runway and I was going around L.A. doing the sort of what I call the couch and water bottle tour of L.A. where you meet <laughs> everybody and have those kind of general meetings where – and I remember it was so funny because at first I didn't understand that everybody says to you at the end of the general meeting, oh, I'd love to find a way to work with you. And so I would call my agent afterwards and go, oh, my God, it was amazing. And he said he wants to find a way to work with me. And he meant he wants you to come clean his pool. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And my agent who – I feel like you're not supposed to say you love your agent because it makes you sound really Hollywood. You love everyone. I love everyone and also I have the best – Agent, he's like really been at it for a long time. He's like a cigar smoking 
You know, he's what I imagined an agent What's his would name? Be. His name's Peter Benedek. Peter Benedek, I know. I, uh, Peter Benedek, and he so, smokes cigars. Mm-hmm. He's old school. He's old school. He's like out of a Hector MacArthur play. Exactly, and he belongs to a cigar club. Which one does he belong to? Mm, I think it says it has the, a Cuban flair. Is it to Grand the Havana? I think it is. I'm on the board of Grand Havana. Are you really? I know Peter, and I probably have seen him at Grand Havana. Oh, wow. Fantastic. He always and I probably hung me. out there and smoked cigars with him when you were still a gleam <laughs> in your parents' eye. You weren't even around. No, no, no. So, so he's your agent and you love him. I love him. And he said to me that I should go for a meeting at HBO. And I did. And I said, well, here's what I'd want to see is like a show about all my girlfriends, like sort of like tiny furniture, but there's more of us and we don't live with our parents anymore. But it's still about that. It's like it was pitched so weekly, like a year after my movie, but there's more of us and it's a TV show. So the, so the conversation wasn't uh, coming out of, and Tiny Furniture in the indie and in the festival world had a very good buzz. There was no conversation about you just going right into films and making more films. Normally they're going to want to steer some, especially your age, who's very young. They're going to go, let's just keep making movies. Well, you know, there was a conversation, but I think I picked up on the fact very early going on the Couch and Water Bottle tour that the kind of stories that I wanted to tell we're not really being funded on a larger scale in film. Tina says that sometimes. The Tina I just finished working yeah. on. That, 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 that it's, it's, it seems like it's more difficult to, A, to have the control you want in the film business and, B, to say what you want to say. It is. And the fact is, is I could have kept saying what I wanted to say, you know, making $25,000 movies. But I wanted – it's weird. The reason that I like having some budget is not because, you know, I want to stage car crashes or I want to have – you know, 10 makeup artists on set, yeah. although those things we'll would will would be lovely. Yeah. But but it's more because of the fact that I do so many jobs, so it was so exciting to not have to worry anymore about answering the doorbell, about returning the equipment, about making sure the people had the pizza. Also, that's going to happen in TV. And, and HBO what I, has money. And HBO has <laughs> HBO is Time Warner, and, but they have money, yeah. but they use it in this amazing model, which is that they don't have to answer to advertisers in the same way. Sure. So HBO can sort of fulfill its odd little interests and that's what I started out as and I what I didn't predict was how much I would love the opportunity to develop characters in this way and the kind of the fiber of TV itself. Now now so the template of four women and obviously HBO is no stranger to the template of four women talking about but obviously those women were older. Those women? Had you been a fan of that show? Yes, I think that I can't find one girl who isn't at least secretly a fan of Sex and the City who's my age. You know, Sex and the City is a specter that hangs over, in a, I mean, in a positive way, everything female-centric. And, you know, there were so many episodes of Sex and the City, and they tackled every area of sexual function and dysfunction that there's almost nothing you can pitch that they haven't done. But I found that the women on Sex and the City— that those women would have things happen, and they tended to brush off the consequences pretty quickly. Yeah. Whereas the girls on your show, the tone seems very different. Everybody seems to almost be doubting what they're doing, or they have a kind of a sense of, of fear or anxiety about it while they're doing it. It seems more real. Was that, is that, was that deliberate on your part? Well, something I feel about being in your 20s, which is different than, you know, Sex and the City was a show about women in their 30s who had successful careers pre-recession, the best, most supportive friends. They didn't have – I mean they had little friend tiffs, but the characters on our show are tortured. It's like if you ask a girl in her 20s, are you a happy person, I think she can say I have happy moments. But I don't think it's possible – maybe I'm – maybe people will radically disagree with me. But I don't really think it's possible to be sort of an at-peace human when you are 
between 22 and 30. And so I think there's you don't. two. I don't because you think I think that's a problem. That, that I mean, for me, that's something I've noticed. I mean, because I'm much older than you, and one thing that I've, I I notice when I went to college, which is a long time ago, an interesting number of people they really knew what they wanted to be. They yeah. weren't quite sure how to get there. Yeah. They, they had a dream. I want to become a lawyer. I want to become a doctor. I want to go into politics. I want to go into and and now people today, it seems like younger people, they really they they think they have more time to figure it out. Well, They're I turning think- twenty five, and they really don't have that picture and focus. Do you agree? I do agree, and I think a big part of it is being. I think the the internet has cracked things open in a way that's both beautiful and that it helps you find there's so many things that I never would have even known about things that have been huge for me that have existed because of the internet and I think that I've been able to partially you know connect with people who would be fans of the show because of the internet I think you know it's always exciting when like I there's this website called rookiemag.com that's run by this girl Tavi Jevonson and it's a it's like a smart teen magazine that exists only on the internet and I just think if when I was a teenager there had been that place and that message board I would have felt like the world was my oyster, like just meeting other weirdo girls who had the same who like, you know, whatever at the time. I just wanted to like talk to someone about Connor Oberst or something on the Internet and that would have been possible. But I think now the fact that like the Internet has created so many strange specialized jobs and so many things where it's like, you know, I'm a brand consultant slash blog enhancer or whatever people are like suddenly the world feels wide open, but there are less jobs available. And so it's a really confusing moment to make any decisive choice about what you want to do. It's interesting you say that the internet is responsible for that. And that idea of having too many choices than you need, you wind up... uh, That could also be a metaphor for like men in their 20s dating. I feel like men in their 20s, like I once had dated a guy who told me that he didn't feel like he could be serious about anyone in New York because it would be like eating at the same restaurant every night in New York. In a minute, I'll talk with Lena Dunham about setting limits. I don't ever want to, like, have a makeover scenario where someone's doing better after they've put on a great dress and, you know, straight ironed their hair. Like, I just, there's, it's a real... I'm Alec Baldwin, and here's the thing. Take a listen to our archive. More in-depth conversations with artists, policymakers, and performers, people like Fred Armisen, Billy Joel, and producer Judd Apatow, who talks about... Lena Dunham. It's pretty amazing to be around someone who is so in their moment and has uh, so much they want to express. So I, I find it kind of reinvigorates my own writing and my own tapping into my thoughts. Take a listen to more of Apatow's thoughts at here's the thing.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. 
Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Lena Dunham, creator and star of the HBO series Girls, is smart and funny. Her character on the show, Hannah Horvath, is a mix of intelligence, brazen confidence, and crippling self-doubt. And while Dunham's comedy is painfully incisive, it doesn't come from someplace mean. Firstly, my dad is like a manners Nazi. So I think that I grew up feeling like the worst thing you could do was offend somebody. I was just going to say, could you sit up straight in that chair? And then, Your dad told me to say that to you. I know. My da- oh, my God. My dad still tells me to sit up straight constantly. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to call him. And then <laughs> – and it's funny because both my, – my dad is an artist and he paints these sort of outlandish intense – I mean he paints things that are pretty pretty sexual images, pretty aggressive Such images. As. You know, a man with a – I mean they're funny but they're intense. It's like two men with – penises for noses in a war with guns and knives with three women. And you grew up around this. this and is I grew up around it, but it was what was interesting was that my dad was sort of like, you can do no that in you your did work. a show called Girls. I know. Dad had penises on, on his face. Uh, on his face, on everyone's face. But, you know, you. I grew up around it, but I, I think that my dad always really showed me that there was a difference between, you know, what your work was and who you were. And he's, so my parents are so polite and so sort of, they just I think so much of this again, I've never had kids. I've you know I forget what I'm saying, but I'm glad you don't think I'm mean. I get too guilty. If I ever make a mean joke. But do you it's appreciate like, what I'm saying? I do. Well I'm terrified. It's one of the reasons I don't I don't really feel like a comedy writer because there's sort of like a quickness and a harshness and But you need to have those people in your bullpen there? Do you have some more really traditional, edgier We do have I have a couple of writers on the staff, but no one on our staff has that particular kind of darkness. Mm. I've been around a lot of those comedy writers, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's that feeling of, like, even when they're saying something nice to you, they're kind of trying to murder you with their eyeballs. And mm-hmm. it's... It's 
It becomes Im- too much salt in the soup, though. Exactly. It's impressive to me in small doses, but terrifying. My thing is also I only really make jokes about people I like. Like when there's a joke that references a celebrity on the show, it's usually a joke that I'm making because I have really taken note of their work and am fascinated by— It's not because you slept with them and you want to get even with them. No. I don't have that, that instinct. Now, um, you're going to do—how many seasons of the show are you signed on to do? it's not clear. I mean, HBO contractually has me, I think, as an actor for six years, but as a writer and director, I wish I should pay more attention to my deals, but I'm just so excited to have my job. I just go, okay, whatever you say. The question becomes how you can maybe, you know, do that TV show and the the, the schedule is how many many episodes? We've been doing 10, I think, uh, between you, me, and McGee. I think we might do 12 next year. Right. That works for you? I would love that. I think that a little more would be just a little more storytelling real estate, and it would be amazing. But, you know, so I shoot four and a half months out of the year. Then I'm editing. Then I'm doing press. Then I'm writing. Then I'm back. So sure. so It's I not think, four and a half months. So it's not. It's, it's eight full, months. It's actually more like 12 months. No. And so it Did you really, make a movie during the break just now? No, I Why? couldn't. Because there was just no time. I finished shooting in August. I was editing— Why don't you make a deal with HBO where they'll finance your film so you're working for them and it's all in-house? It's very smart. I mean, I I really want to make a movie. I have two features scripts that I've been working on that I just – I want to make another – before I make like a big, massive, ambitious movie. I mean, I want to make a creatively ambitious movie, but I want to make another small movie. I have have small movie ideas. Do you have a massive, ambitious movie inside you? I do, but it's so weird. Is there a 54-year-old psychotherapist in it? There's there's a 54-year-old somebody and I mean – I'll talk to you later. An air traffic controller? <laughs> working with you is one of my longstanding dreams. Okay. But I um, And I'm also, I'm writing a book. So that's something that was really. Now, I heard about that. It's something that was really important to me to start doing at this hmm, point in my you career. You star and you write and produce your own TV show. <laughs> and you're writing a book. Hmm. Who did that remind me of? Who did that remind <laughs> me of? What are you going to write a book about? I'm writing a book. Well, I guess it's about me, although it's a little less about me because it also has advice, an advice component. But it's like personal essays. So was it like Paula Pell's Hey Young Girls? Oh, my God. I love Hey Young Girls. Makes me so happy. Paula Pell is funny. Paula Pell is someone who is funny and not mean. Yeah. Paula Pell's she's like— She's mean to the right people. She's just a dreamy person. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that's been so great about writing the book is I've always loved writing prose, and I wanted to make it a part of my career sooner rather than later because I didn't want it to be like when I decided to write a book in 10 years, it was like, oh, look, here's a celebrity memoir number 57. I wanted it to really feel like— I'm a person who writes prose and that it's a part of my life and career for a long time. But unlike other people that are writing books, they don't have TV shows that they're starring in and writing. When you're done doing now not just 10 but 12 episodes, what yeah. do you have left to go into the book? There's stuff that's just for the book. There's stuff As an that's example, just, well, like, topic-wise. I write a lot about my childhood in the book. I write a lot about my parents. I write a lot about um, college and sort of like the, I write a lot about that period. I write a lot about sort of like the beginning of being – sexual person. I write about relationships. I'm writing a lot about sort of female role models. What do you want to say about sexuality? It's interesting. I've had to become more conscious about what I say and what I promote, not in a way that stifles me, but just in a way where I realize now that there are 17-year-old girls who come up to me and tell me that the show means a lot to them. If 1% of your audience is influenced, this is what I learned from someone, if yeah. 1% of your inf- of your audience, 1% yeah. is genuinely and in any way influenced by what you do and say, that's still tens of thousands of people. It's amazing. It's a platform that you have to take seriously, which is why sometimes it's like, I used to be really into Rihanna, that pop star, and then it's like, 
again, I don't want to ever, you know, throw stones from my glass house, but I follow her on Instagram. And I just think about how many little girls beyond what I could even comprehend are obsessed with Rihanna. Like, you know, she left Barbados. She's had this amazing career. She's, you know, won Grammys. She's talented. And then she gets back together with Chris Brown and posts a million pictures of them smoking marijuana together on a bed. And it cracks my heart in half in a way that makes me feel like Mark, I'm 95 years old. Because you want to be Chris Brown smoking pot? No, because she got back together with someone. No, I know. Oh, yeah, exactly. you guys. Yeah. You, you made a really good joke, and I got too emotional in, no, no. in my response. Yeah, because I want to be You're in so bed. sincere. It's terrible. You're not mean enough. It's terrible. No, but it's, so you are, as a role model, what won't Hannah or the other girls in the quartet do? Jenny and I talk about this a lot. We won't fuck someone because they have a nice apartment. There's not going to be any version of sort of like prostituting yourself. There's not going to be any version of dating somebody because he can take you out to nice dinner. Wait, wait. You're putting down my whole playbook. This is all I have left <laughs> in my age. Wait a second. That is so wrong of you. Come on. It's interesting. I have so many friends who are so sort of tortured by their romantic relationships. And I think such a big part of it is that the desires of young men and young women are not caught up with each other. Right. So you say they won't monetize sex. They won't monetize sex. And it's, like, even more subtle than that. Like, I don't like a storyline that's, like, unless it's really saying something about where a character's at, I don't like a storyline that's, like, you know, he bought me an entire trousseau of dresses and so I'm his forever. Like, that's just not the way that I want to idealize anything. I think that the characters the characters can make mistakes, but they have to be emotionally responsible for the things that they've done. I don't ever want to, like, have a makeover scenario where someone's doing better after they've put on a great dress and, you know— straight ironed their hair like I just there's it's a really instinctual thing now two things that I think are kind of connected which is how do men present themselves you have a boyfriend and I, I do. don't want, and I don't want to pry into your personal life but you how do men present themselves to you differently you said that Hannah was this and that and a chubby girl who did now the name Lena Dunham means something else to people how do men present themselves to you now different from the way they used to it's interesting I mean I'm so bad at knowing if anybody's hitting on me like someone literally has to like beat me on the head with a drumstick and drag me back to their cave for me to understand that it's going on and then you would press charges against them. and then I would and then they and then and then I'd hire world. Gloria Alred as my attorney and, and we'd, yeah and get on TMZ exactly but you know, the thing is, is that sleazy people are attracted to – and sleazy people and not sleazy people are attracted to any sense of gravitas that someone might have. So I, de- so I definitely have had felt less ignored by the opposite sex, but I'm also so bad at perceiving any of it and so sort How of – How did you know your boyfriend liked you? Well, we got set up on a blind date, so I knew he liked – well, I didn't know he liked me, but – He was predisposed. He was predisposed to like me because what we were going on was a date. And then that was a special situation because I went, oh, I think he likes me and I like him. And right, now, you don't have to great. answer – tell me if you don't want to answer this question, but I just find it charming. Yeah. Where did you go on your first date with your boyfriend? We went to Blue Ribbon Bakery in the West Village. And the reason I was happy was because I find picking a restaurant so anxiety-producing because I feel in like – New York. Yeah, because it's the dilemma of Burden's ass. I it really is. We're going to starve to death with two bells. We're going to starve to death, and also, what if I choose the wrong restaurant and you have a bad association with it, or you think I'm sleazy? Reflects poorly on me. Exactly, it's just the worst. And like, what if we go there and you don't like? He's sitting there going, "You call this a brand muffin?" Exactly, it's so so stressful. So he said, before I even had to say anything, he said, "If it's stressful for you, I can pick the restaurant." And I felt like. Okay, I'm going to be in great hands. Where did he pick? And then he picked Blue Ribbon Bakery, and then I ate a cheese. And then I ordered a hamburger, and he said, I think you should get cheese on it. Isn't that nice? And you went, oh, my God, I'm went, home. Yeah, that's basically I'm home. I was so glad. You're like, did my mom call you? 
like this. Before this date. And let you know what you my dreams like cheese, are. That I like Jarlsberg exactly. on my burger. And now you've been dating him for a while. Yeah, a lot, like he's a very, very great person. To meet you, and tell me if I'm on to something here, you seem like someone that regardless of what you look like or didn't look like or what you had or didn't have, whoever you were, you have a very, very healthy and kind of guileless sense of who you are. And you presented yourself to people your entire life going, this is who I am, and if you like me, great, and if you don't, there's another 6.5 billion people out there, so go for it. Am I right? I mean, that's that's the most lovely way of putting it. I mean, I think... I think I always had a feeling like if you just stick around and continue to be yourself, the correct people will find you. And that's something that's been so wonderful about the show was that it kind of confirmed that for me, which is not everyone watches it, but the people who watch it understand it. And that feeling, I'm sure you've had this before, of uniting with your appropriate audience and sort of uniting with your people is like about as comforting as feelings get. Lena Dunham's desire to connect with her audience is one my next guest understands completely. She's been doing it for decades. Hey! Mr. Producer! For nearly 70 years, Elaine Stritch has been bringing her characters to life with a playful ferocity that naturally leads to scene-stealing performances. She's built an enviable career in film and television. But Stritch is a self-professed Broadway baby. A big break came in 1950 when she was hired to understudy for Ethel Merman in Irving Berlin's musical, Call Me Madam. She scared me to death. Really? She's a tough broad. But when I got to the end of Call Me Madam, it was mine. You don't need analyzing. It is not so surprising that you feel very strange, but not. Elaine Stritch remained on stage for much of the 50s and 60s, playing such iconic roles as Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Amanda in Private Lives by Noel Coward. In 1970, she originated what is arguably the role of her career, the acerbic Joanne in Stephen Sondheim's Company. And here's to the girls who just watch. Aren't they the best? In a TV documentary about the cast recording of that production, we meet Elaine's toughest critic, herself. Here she is listening to a take of that song she made famous, Ladies Who Lunch. Just to be clear, that's Elaine yelling at the sound of her own voice. That was over 40 years ago, but Elaine Stritch has continued to hold herself to impossibly high standards, and her dedication to the craft she loves is clear. At least, until recently. Earlier this year, Elaine Stritch announced that she was leaving New York for her home state of Michigan. There's nothing to tie me here. Right. Doesn't give me any satisfaction. I don't go home and say, I guess I told them. In April, at the fitting age of 88, she performed her last cabaret show at the Carlisle Hotel. As long as I've got arms to cling you all be clinging to I shouldn't live in New York anymore it's not for me anymore it's too fast for me or no it's not too fast and I changed my mind about that it's not this it's not that it's just not for me this is a 
This is New York. Taxi, low, and it's dinner, and tonight, yeah. and uh, tomorrow, and... Very full day. And, and I can't handle it anymore because I'm not nerves. interested in handling right. it. Right. You just don't want... You could do it. You just don't want to do it. I said the other night, when is pretend going to end? Right. Slowly but surely, Alex, is. I'm starting to say, I don't want to pretend anymore. Yeah. I want to get up in the morning, and I want it to be real. You know what talent is. Why have you lasted all this time? And, and because you're talented. Certainly it isn't because people think you're uh, an easy time of it. Because I have to accomplish something in that department almost every day of my life. I have to. So you've never stopped trying to prove yourself. Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's the key, isn't it? No. i got to go and do that part in that soap, in that schmope. I don't care what it right. is. you got to give you it know, everything or you have. I, or I'm with Noel Coward on uh, the West End, or I'm with Hal Prince on Broadway. I'm with all the big, 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 big shots, and they're directing me well and guiding me well, and I'm... I'm you want to prove you belong there with them. Yes, and I'm being directed in the way of the big shots and I'm doing fine I'm doing fine I'm I'm uh, I'm doing fine but you but there's a point I'm assuming when did you feel that you're in the room and all of a sudden it's like I don't need anybody's advice I know what I want to do here's what I do was there a time you remember in your life when that changed I got self-satisfied about the parts that I played for example well like I was the um I was the funny kind of offbeat girl. I wasn't, I was never the romantic lead. I wasn't good, that kind of looking girl in the movies. I couldn't be that kind of looking girl. I was. um, Well, you could could have been looks wise, but you just didn't want to play it because those were dull parts. Well, well, yeah. They weren't as good of parts. But I, yeah. You were a sassier woman. Yeah. And you played those parts. I was an attention getter. But I didn't want to be Eve Arden. I really didn't. Okay. Okay, that's a good point. Why? What did you sprinkle on top of that to make sure that it wasn't Eve Arden? What do you do that Eve Arden didn't do? I get dramatic or frightened or real about something or... Pain. Yeah. There's a pain in what you do. Yes. It's not in Eve Arden's work. So Something dramatic happens to me in, in the course of a comedy. Right. I don't know, but I... Were you um, always that way? What was I always what way? Complicating things with the pain of your existence. We, this, this thing you tap into, did you do it when you were very young? I think so. I think I did. Were you the complicated one? Oh, I think so. I mean, there's very often I would hear around our house, where's Elaine? <laughs> And then my mother would say, oh. And they'd say, oh. And I'd say, I'm right here. They were worried about you. Yeah, everybody was worried about me because when I wasn't accountable, I was, I scared them. When did performing begin for you? Were you a performer as a child? I was laughing. I was born laughing. And you were funny. Oh, God, I was funny. I really was funny, and I made everybody laugh, and I wasn't conscious of it. Right. I want to tell you something. I'd love to tell you a line from my life to see if you get this. Sure. My mother and dad, as a present to me when I was six years old, 
took me to Niagara Falls, which was very close to Birmingham, Michigan. And I kept hearing about this, and I was going to wear my new pink coat and hat, and I was going to Niagara Falls, and I kept hearing it, and, you know, Christmas morning, Christmas morning, whatever it was. And it, and I never said a word. I just sat in the back seat, and I just waited. They pulled up Alec to the parking lot in Niagara Falls, and here we are. We're here, Laney. We're here. Come on, get out. And it was just me, Mom, and Dad. So the two sisters, the older sisters, you know, the hell with them. And I got very teary-eyed and pulled my mother back from the car and said, Mama, what, what? We're going to go see Niagara Falls. And I asked her if Niagara Falls had a baby. And to me and to my mother and my father, it was one of the most extraordinary dramatic lines of all time. All I was interested in is did this woman, Niagara Falls, have a baby? Because then I could play with her. And it was, I think, an absolute proof of how lonely and sad I was as a kid. Wow. I didn't know what the hell artistic was all about. I really didn't. I knew I had to express myself. I knew I had to express myself, and that's all there was to it. So when you left Michigan, when you left home, you lived at home in Michigan. Your family lived in Michigan until you left home. Did you go to college? No, I didn't go to college. I graduated from high school. And went where? Sacred Heart Convent. You went to a convent. I went to a convent. The Sacre Coeur. Highly educational, big scholastic Scooby-Doo. You went there for what? Twelve years. That was your high school. Yeah. But when you left there, where'd you go? To the Duchenne residence, which was also the Sacre Coeur, but it was a residence finishing school. For what? It was like um, after-school stuff, you know, like... Um, I'm trying to think of one of the courses that we took. Uh, current events. Isn't that a gas? How long were you there? Uh, two years. Two years after yeah, high school? Yeah, and I went out and majored in dramatics at the new school in Greenwich Village. The finishing school was in the city? Or you were back in Michigan? It's in Greenwich Village. Oh, the finishing no, school. No, I'm in New York. You're in New York. You went to finishing school in New York. Absolutely. Oh, I see. I see. On 91st and 5th Avenue. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I, uh, I took these three courses at the school, which was fine. I had a roommate from Chicago who was majoring in journalism. And we were all very sophisticated broads. Yeah. You went to new school for drama. That yeah. was your first acting ex- exposure. Absolutely. Yep. Boom. What did you think about it when you first I loved it. I sat next to Marlon Brando. That was didn't hurt at yeah, all. Yeah, that'll get you through class. Yeah. Walter Matthau was on the other side of me. At the new school? Yeah. We had a very stellar cast. I was getting along fine and having the most fun I've ever had in my whole life. What's the first job you ever got? Um, well, first of all, I was at the studio theater at the new school, and we had our own theater, and Piscotter directed... And 
Stella Adler directed, and we had all those Stanislavski people. We had more fun. Alex, you couldn't believe it. What was and Stella like as a director? Heaven. She was. What made her so? I, I, I... She's very insightful. All this kind of dramatics. <laughs> you know, Elaine and Marlon and Walter. And you do it! She'd scream her head off at us. She was crazy woman. But I just had the most wonderful time in dramatic school. And then what about your first job and in Kirk New York? Kirk Douglas. I, I did my first play with Kirk Douglas. What show with Kirk? Uh, Craig's, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll tell you in a minute. Um, you close your eyes, I, I, you and Kirk Douglas, you're on a stage in New York. Yeah, I play, and also, where is my black bag, Alec? Hunter? I need, uh, I need, uh, orange juice. Hunter, come in, please. Can we send Hunter in here, please, with yeah. the, uh, yeah, yeah, provisions? Yeah, yeah. Hunter Ryan Herdlicka, who accompanied Elaine to the studio, came through the door, juice in hand. I need some orange juice. Yes, my right here. diabetes here is. is kicking up. There we go. I need Hunter, the, my good man. Hunter's here now. With yeah, the Hunter's juice. here. All's right with the world. You know that I'm diabetic. Yes, of course. I so, think the world knows by now. The world knows by now. The world. <laughs> okay. You know what I quoted the other day, a line of my father's that really is so naughty and just so much fun? Here's looking up your old address. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? And he said it with no, he just, that was it. Nothing on it. Yeah, that's right. All right, I'm going to drink this I now. I bring the oranges okay. now so we don't have some event here. That's cool. Okay. All right. So now that you've had your orange juice and your brain freeze is over, uh, Kirk Douglas, what was the show? Do you remember now? Woman Bites Dog. (laughs) (laughs) That orange juice, it's a miracle elixir. I want to meet a case of that orange juice. It's got all kinds of. Woman Bites Dog. Woman Bites Dog. Yeah. What'd you play in that? If you say I played his girlfriend who he lived with, I didn't even know what that phrase meant. You were a floozy. Well, no, I wasn't. A f- I just, but I lived with him, right. and I wasn't married to right. him. I didn't know what that meant. What do you remember about Kirk Douglas? Oh my God, I loved him. Oh God, I mean, I loved him. Too. I loved him, and what an actor! Oh, I loved God. him. He was, and he's one of the few men who was as great an actor as he was a star. Oh, he was wasn't great, he? He was a great actor. He was a great actor. Oh, he was a great actor. I loved him. And he loved me. He flipped over me. And he took me halfway away for the weekend, and then I discovered that I shouldn't go. He took you? Wait, halfway away to Palm Springs, and then I said, I shouldn't be going. So what did you do? You hit, like, what? So like, he said, oh, you hit, like, I'll Redlands? take Where were you? Redlands? <laughs> I don't know. We were halfway <laughs> to Palm Beach. Palm Springs. Springs. So you're driving east And we were driving LA, for the weekend. And you decided you didn't want to... Well, I said, I'm, I'm getting nervous because what do you want me to do when we get up here? And, and Kirk he Douglas... Went, oh, Elaine. He knew I was a virgin, so he was dealing with that. Right. 
You is. So you, I, so that here was, you, isn't it amazing? You were this virginal, you went to soccer cur, and you went to finishing school. Yeah, and I played. And as soon as you're out, God is just tempting you. He's taking yeah. Marlon Brando on one side of you, and Kirk Douglas is revving up the convertible to take you to Palm Springs, <laughs> and you're the floozy here, and you're the peace on the side, the busty femme fatale. But what I was really doing is learning my lines to the play or to the television or to the... I was really loving acting. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved pretending. I just loved it. It's so hard, and it's such hard work, but it's so gratifying. What's the hardest thing about it for you? What's been the hardest thing? Do you find it hard just to have the that fear, much focus on the it? fear. The fear of what? That you won't be able to perform? The fear that I'm just going to forget, and I'm going to not not so much forget, but it's the fear. It's the fear. Have you ever done a show? I'm sure you've done countless shows. Have you ever done a show where you're sitting backstage thinking, what am I doing here? How did I get myself into this? Or were you always engaged by what you were doing? I was always engaged. Always. By, always. You never took a I was part. leading up to it or coming down. You know, I I was trying to get it behind you me. You never regretted doing anything? Never? No. Wow. That's incredible. No, I never, never regretted doing anything on the stage. Never? Uh-uh. How was that possible? Because I just won every time I walked out there. Right. I, you know, that old expression about I own the stage. Right. After all, over the course of her career, Elaine Stritch worked with some of the best, like Stephen Sondheim. I don't think he knew anything about how successful he was right. going to be. He wasn't conscious of that. Uh-uh. He, he was too to busy doing it. Right. In a minute, our interview continues, and blood sugars are measured. Oh, there we go. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. In the past 20 years, TV and film have introduced Elaine Stritch to a new audience. She garnered Emmys for her performances in Law and & Order and in 30 Rock, where she played my character's mother, the irascible Colleen Donaghy. Well, 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 well. <laughs> this must be the one. Huh? Phoebe. Welcome. No, no, no. No, I'm... Welcome, 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 welcome. Mother, mother. Uh, this is not Phoebe. No, no. This is not Phoebe? Well, why the hell not? I ended up liking Tina Fey an awful lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And very quietly, all by myself. Right. Did you enjoy doing the show? No. You didn't? Now, why? I didn't have any fun with care- with comedy. I did with you for a while, but then it got a little bit too routine for right. me. And I wasn't... Challenged. I, I didn't have a challenge with it. But, I mean, I was fine. Yeah. But... Um, Oh, I don't know, Alex. It yeah. just it was. It, would you think TV's not your? Medium? No, I think TV is fine with me. Right. I, 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 there's nothing's nothing's wrong with it. I I love TV. I love comedy. I loved working with you. It was almost like we need. It was. Well, the the. <clears throat> are we okay? Yeah, um, I think so. So, um, did you ever want to do a drama? In, 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 in your later years, I mean, in the uh, last 15, uh, 20 years. I was just cut out for it. You, cut out for it. You were? Oh, absolutely. What's the last drama you did on stage? Uh, Edward Albee. Um, Lady from Dubuque? No, no, no. Three Tall Women? No. I was asked to do that. I didn't do it. Uh, it's too much to learn. Right. Um, a delicate balance. Delicate balance. That's the last one of the one best did. plays ever written in the whole world, you love that and play. also a play for me. What did you like about the part? What did you like about it? It was very quiet and very subtle. Subtle, like forget about it, and just. And I just went about my business on that stage, and I did everything. I drank too much. I talked too much. I I did exactly as I pleased. I went upstairs when I wanted to go upstairs. I was absolutely all over the place and not promising anything to anybody. It was unbelievable. Who directed? Jerry Gutierrez. Really? Who was the best director, at, with, aside from George Wolfe. The two of them were the 
What is it? No, no, no. Help illuminate this for people, because this to me is a very important question for you, and that is, you're so self-directed. You know, you've got the talent. You've got to feel good. But baby, you got so many bullets in your chamber. It's not funny, and you come out there. You're loaded. And what does a director do for you? What? How does a director help you? Oh, he makes me feel comfortable about myself. Really. He gives you For instance, George Wolfe, when he did my one-woman show, he has a way of laughing that he ha- when he laughs, he falls on the floor. He throws himself on the floor because he's got to do that. He's got to go, ha, 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 He goes crazy when he laughs, yeah. and he's laughing, and, he's, and that will make me listen to a director. That will, yeah. that will tune me in. Isn't to... it nice when a director gives you confidence? Oh, my God. Because I've worked it... with so many of them where, not that they undermined you, but they certainly didn't give you any confidence. No, they don't they, take they, they, they almost resented yeah. the implication that they do that. They kind of looked at you like, well, you're getting paid all this money. You just get up there and do it. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not here yeah. to help you. Yeah. No, they and don't a, help you at yeah, all. Oh, there's no mentoring or care mm-hmm. or whatever. It's very, very strange. I, I want a little more orange juice, yes. gang. Hunter, get Hunter. Hunter. That beeping sound we've been hearing periodically—is that a glucose meter? What's that? What's that thing that went off? Where's mine? It's Dexcom. It's yeah. telling us to enter the blood sugars. Okay. Oh my God! Yeah. I forgot all about them. Yeah. Oh my God. So when we're done with this, we'll enter them. Oh, are we okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, this do you want to take a break and do it now? How long uh, will it take? I, I, a minute. Go right ahead. Please uh, do it now. On. God, I, I, don't, I, don't I don't want you. I think we should wait. I, I wouldn't want it in the post that you were hospitalized on my account. Yeah, because of... Alec Baldwin refused to allow me to administer my diabetes treatment. Okay, here's for your finger. Uh, oh, boy. Okay, this is... Right away, I'm going to do it now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, there we go. I don't have my... Ladies and gentlemen... Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Elaine Stritch and Hunter. 181. The ever trusty Hunter are squeezing <laughs> droplets of her blood onto a device right now to tell us that we've nearly killed her here. <laughs> she okay? Yeah. You do it one more time. Okay, and then it's done. And then and and you want to keep it at what number? What's oh, the goal? It's not a matter of keeping. It's just entering them what right. what they are now that are two hours after i'd love to do mine too while we're at it let's have a let's have a prick our finger and squeeze it on the glucose meter party <laughs> stop that alex listen to me. there's another beep beep this is why you're so glad we're not doing this on television because to see this happening is really oh yeah unsettling and we've done both of them now we've done both of them yay and what, what number are you at? 191. And where do you want to be? Doesn't have South to be. There. That's fine. Okay. No, that's good. It's cool. Okay, she's cool. Um, oh, oh, I know ahead. what I wanted to tell you. I want to tell him something. That I that I got the nerve to tell John Turturis. Now, now, when you told John Turturro what yeah. you wanted to tell him, yeah. was it something that meant a lot to you? Because we'll edit that you called him Turturis. A lot of people... I'll have, have Alex Baldwin call John Turturis. <laughs> what did you want to tell John Turturis? I wanted to tell somebody something about me and acting that sort of, I thought, kind of represented something about me that I had had courage to tell. And the thing was that I... Oh, how can I tell you this? 
Well, you tell me that your secret, and I'll tell you mine. All right. My secret is, is that, how can I t put it to you? My secret is, in Virginia Woolf, when I was playing Virginia Woolf, I, um, sometimes I get fuzzy when I'm telling a story now, and it's... We have that in common. Go ahead. I wanted to tell something intimate about myself to John about when he was interviewing me. Right. I told him that when I was doing Virginia Woolf and when George and Martha had their scene together and George said, our son is dead. Mm -hmm. You know, the big scene. Mm -hmm. Our son, he yells in my face, is dead. And I went, no! At the height of my force, I said no to him. And I had an orgasm for the first time in my life. You did? Yes. Really? So, so this, is, this is how important that moment was on stage to me. Albie's very particular about who he casts. Very. Yeah. Did you have a good relationship with him? You're close with very. him? Very. Yeah. He's very tough. Who he puts he's in his very, and who he put uh, but he's, and he's very fond of me. I got two last questions for you. Okay. And I want you to give me a simple answer to this first question. I've met a lot of people in this business, and I've worked with a lot of people who were powerful. You know, Julie Harris played my mother on a TV series. Oh my God! And I work with She's some great. She's the best. I work with some great people. You know, great, great people. Some not so great, but some great ones. And you're one of the great ones I worked with. Thank you. But. Just give me a yes or a no if you're capable. And that is, do you realize what you mean to other people who are in this business, how much they love you and how much they admire you? Do you know? I'm beginning to. Do you Into the mic, please. Don't talk to you. I'm beginning to. Because in this business, as you know, especially for people who themselves are very talented and or successful, other talented people, that's like... Um, a, an aphrodisiac to them. Talent is the greatest aphrodisiac. Yeah. And everyone basically says, you know, there's no one more talented than you. You're an immensely, immensely, incalculably talented woman. And people, and you're a gigantic pain in the ass sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're a legendary pain in the in ass. Yes, apparently. But you're a gigantic pain in the ass. But people don't, you know, they, they joke about that because they love you. And why do they love you? Because you're so talented. You're so funny. You're so everything. Your timing is impeccable. Now, what are you going to miss about New York? The personality of human beings in New York. Yeah. They are so opened and sec uh, they're not watching what they're doing. They're not, you know, they're, they're not watching their language. They're not watching anything. They're just going through life saying, what? Uh, yeah, all right. You know, and everybody's... They're, they're engaged by they're the They're engaged, by the yeah. Every day is an event in New York. Elaine Stritch says she's going to miss New Yorkers, and I can tell you that we will miss her too. She says the move back to Michigan hasn't been easy, but she's already found herself on stage in Detroit. This is Alec Baldwin. You can hear more of our conversations from Debbie Reynolds to Michael Douglas in our archive. 
Elvis used to tease him a lot and put snakes down his pants. <laughs> and that was the beginning for you. Yeah, oh, and I thought, no, I always knew I was going to be with people like this. Take a listen at heresthething.org. Here's the Thing is produced by Emily Botine and Kathy Russo with Chris Bannon, Jim Briggs, Ed Herbstman, Melanie Hoops, Monica Hopkins, Trey Kay, Sharon Mashihi, and Lou Olkowski. Thanks to Larry Josephson and the Radio Foundation. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.